Why don't you guys grab a seat? High five your neighbor if you want. We used to do that before COVID. I don't know if we can do, can we go, can we high five our neighbor? Is that okay? Yeah, can you give me that lawn chair? can also high five your second choice neighbor. Well, let's be honest, whoever you high five first, you like them better. All right, if there's no, okay. Well, that's fine. Yeah, that's great. No, I'm good. Who stole my lawn chair? Hey, Pastor Charles stole the lawn chair. How do you have a cohesive sermon series without props? I don't even understand. How did you all do it in the old days? I had a birthday, and so I'm super old now. I can say things like that. How are we? Wiser. We are blessed. We are blessed. Holy smokes, are we ever. We're still in the sermon series, which isn't really a sermon series. It's, uh, it's stories of hope. The team and... But we've been talking about different aspects of our lives and hoping you find some inspiration, hoping that the Holy Spirit gives you hope in the midst of it. Um, how has that been going for you? Good? I've heard some really interesting testimonies, and so I, and none about the one I shared, so that's something. You like the others better than me, do you? Um, so I'm going to share a little bit. Last time I talked about pastoral life a bit. I'm going to share today um, about my childhood. I've talked a little bit about this in the past, but we're going to talk about it on a deeper level today, and I'm going to take it in a different direction in a couple of minutes. So bear with me. Sound good? We are all capable of retaining. I need my tea. We're all capable. I'm going to keep going. I'm fine. We're all capable of retaining really weird pieces of information, hey? Um, for some of you, you can remember song lyrics really, really well. Uh, for me, I can remember themes of TV shows. And so if you, you take a road trip with my family, it gets boring fast because my children are young and they're used to technology. So you got to come up with something quick to keep them on their toes. And so we do a lot of these guess the tunes off of YouTube. And we, um, I usually, I'm usually not great. It's like 80s tunes or 90s, I'm like 50-50. My wife, incredible. She can, she can name a tune based on the first two notes. It's, it's maddening. <laughs> but we did one the other day of 80s TV show themes. And I missed one. And my wife was like, how do you know so many TV themes? Like, why? And, and how is that good for your brain? Because obviously, you watched a lot of TV growing up. And I, I said, yeah, 
I did. And I'm going to explain to you why I know so many 80s TV theme songs. It's because the first 10 years of my life, I was either in and out of a hospital or stuck in bed at home. There's not much to do in the 80s other than watch TV. I was very, very good at Ryan Sandberg baseball on my NES. Anybody? No? Blades of Steel? I, I, I could destroy any of you at Blades of Steel to this day. I Bring it on. Bring it on, Scott. You wave that arm, I'll take you down, boy. So here's the deal. When I was born, I was born with something called severe hemophilia. And what that means is my blood can't clot properly. So it's missing factor eight. You know all about this, Paul. So it's missing a a component called factor eight. So as a child, what would happen is if if you had a bleed, a cut, anything like that, in the 80s, you got rushed to the hospital. They had to mix some plasma together with some other stuff. And, uh, and basically, they pump this into your veins and hope for the best. Now, like medicine is just absolutely incredible. Um, it progressed from that to I, had, I did like a push IV every day for most of my life um, to now we got this fancy stuff from Europe. It's like once every two weeks, it's a quick injection and like life's back to normal. But back then, back then things were not good in the medical community when it came to hemophilia care. So as a little guy, like some of my earliest memories are being rushed to the hospital. And even when I was little, like gym class in grade two, okay? Like, how rambunctious is gym class in grade two? Let's be honest, it's, it's pitiful. Um, but I would have a helmet on, little <laughs> knee pads, little elbow pads, because this is what you had to do to make sure that there wasn't a joint bleed. It was just, here's life. I remember, I remember one specific incident where I was riding my bike and um, I missed the pedal and my knee went forward and caused a joint bleed. And it got so bad that I was hospitalized with this and I needed a transfusion. Um, this, this transfusion had to be mixed and, and all of this other stuff. I don't even remember the words anymore that they used. But it was such a bad one that like, I, and I don't know if this was scare tactics, I, I don't know. But like amputation was being rolled around. I was like, I'm just trying to scare my parents into making them do it. Like, I, I don't know. But it was a big deal. And this was a very scary time for me as a little guy, but for my parents as well, trying to figure out how do we care for something we don't fully understand. But this was also a really scary time in Canada. Because the blood bank in Canada was being supplied from the US. So blood was coming up from the US unchecked. Not that Americans are bad. (laughs) But in Arkansas, or Arkansas, if you want to pronounce it how it's spelled, 
In Arkansas, we had Bill Clinton as a governor. And what he was doing was he had a campaign called the Need, for, Need to Bleed campaign. So they would go to Arkansas state prisons and they would, uh, they would pay these guys off with cigarettes, with whatever they needed, if they gave blood. That blood then, unchecked, rolling into Canada into the Canadian blood services. So my transfusion on that specific day came from Arkansas State Prison. If you followed the news at all over the last 20 years with this story, has anyone ever heard of this? I believe it was called the Kyver Report or something like that. Yeah. So um, out of the patients with hemophilia who took transfusions in that time frame, I think it was a three-year window, all of us contracted hep C. Most of them contracted HIV. I've met the three other, uh, sorry, I've met three of the four other uh, guys who are still alive. It was a bad time in Canadian medical history. And unfortunately, I became a part of it. Now, um, I, can, I can tell you that I, I actually don't have hep C anymore. Um, it wreaked havoc on my body for many years. Like, I turned yellow as a little guy. Like, it was awful. It was an awful, awful thing that killed my liver. But, um, over the course of years, medications got better and that type of thing, and I'm good. I, we've, we have cleared the virus um, to the degree that my hepatologist last time I was in for a meeting said, look, you're, like, everything is actually regenerated now. Like, your liver's good. Treat it well, and it'll treat you well. Don't come back and see me. I was like, oh, fantastic. We're, we're headed somewhere with this. The, the hemophilia still persists. That's fine um, for now. We'll believe that God will do something with that in the future. But here's the problem. This is, this is kind of what I want to talk about. So it scared my parents, big time, all of the stuff that was happening. So instead of going the medical route, for a while we went the holistic route, which actually I have no issues with whatsoever. Um, it just meant uh, there was no more injections was the option that they chose. And if you're a doctor or a nurse in this room, you'll be like, what is wrong with you? But it was the 80s. Cut the fissures some slack. So it meant that I would lay in bed a lot, watch a lot of TV, and be wrapped in ice packs continuously. It was a very isolated childhood. Um, yeah, my best friend was my dog. It, it, it was what it was. But don't worry, he was a good dog, so it was all fine. <laughs> now, there's good and there's bad to this. The good is I escaped having more transfusions. I didn't get, hep I didn't get uh, HIV, and I'm not dead. The bad part is, is that my joints weren't properly cared for, and I've had a knee replacement. They want to do this one, and that ankle is um, also fused solid. It's metal. Fun at airports. Yeah. I get a lot of random screening.
Now, I'm not looking for an argument with my next statement. I will not respond to your emails on this next statement either. <laughs> I believe that this, like, living through this, watching how my parents had to deal with things, I think that this is why I had compassion during COVID. Because we had the two camps in Canada, right? Uh, we had pro-vax, anti-vax. I didn't care what you were. We just wanted to follow the rules. Uh, I, I have no judgment upon your person in, in one way whatsoever. Like what you chose, like what our medical system right now is, is not what it was. And in 10 years and in 20 years, we're going to look back and we're going to say, oh man, our medical system was a mess back then. Look how far God has brought us as a, as a medical community up, up to where we're at now. It's, it's tough when we start placing judgments on people for those types of things. We do the best we can with what we know at the time. And so, even looking back on the last three years, we needed to have a lot more grace for one another, hey? And I hope that God is helping you to bridge some of those gaps and heal some of those relationships. You know, God has been very gracious to us in that area this last while. But I look forward to the day when I look back and say, we're in a way better place than we were. Amen? Like, can you imagine living in the early 1900s when, like, if you had swelling somewhere, the, the answer was get some leeches? Like, come on. <laughs> like, watch some Murdoch mysteries, right? Like, this is, this is a nightmare. So all of that worked until it didn't work anymore. It worked until it didn't work. So fast forward, and I'm newly married. And I go on a trip with my dad, and we, we go to visit one of my aunties. And we had some, some delicious German food. And I started to feel really ill afterwards. Um, I don't generally feel ill after German food because I'm German. This is like I'm kind of fueled by the stuff. Dough and sausage, right? <laughs> but it persisted. It got worse. It got to the point where I passed out. And so my wife rushes me into the hospital and they do some scans and some investigation. They're like, well, your, your stomach, is, it's like distending and it's filled with blood. You are bleeding internally. You are going to die unless we treat this. And so it, like, it worked until it didn't work. And then all of a sudden, I, I went back into the medical way and we are where we're at right now. But I remember as a child, I remember peace being the furthest Thing from my mind. And that's all I could race back to in moments like that. So like, you're laying on a hospital bed, the doctor's like, if we don't treat you for this, you're going to die. Like, right, but do you remember what you did last time? You completely erased peace from my brain. You shattered any idea whatsoever that I could be a normal person. Why could I trust you again? And, like, even, even as a kid, like, to, to hear the things, like, 
So hemophilia in the 80s, the answer was, well, probably by the time he's 9 or 10, his joint bleeds are going to be so bad that he's in a wheelchair. And possibly now with the, the compounding of hep C, probably dead by teenager. You hear these things. How can you find peace? How do you, how do you trust a God who would allow this to happen? I'm not going to spend much time on the healing proportion of this story today because we're going to go back into Scripture in a moment. I want to talk just about the mental health perspective. If you were born with the simple purpose of dying, you can never live in peace. Because a God of peace doesn't make sense. But if you understand that we are born to live, we are born to create, we are born to pursue the kingdom of God and and perpetuate that on the earth, everything then becomes an opportunity no matter what you're being told. But for me as a child, I was spending so much time focusing on the stuff that robbed me of peace that I forgot that God was good. Even being dragged to every single healing crusade you can possibly imagine. I like every tent meeting and sawdust floor, boy howdy. I, I had one guy once try to punch the sickness out of me. Yeah, welcome to Pentecostalism. Glad we don't do that anymore. Where's the peace in that? Where's the God of peace that says you were created fearfully and wonderfully? I was not created as a mistake. However, I was subconsciously taught you're a mistake. Well, you need to go for healing because there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with me. God has created me. If he chooses to heal me, fantastic. If he doesn't, boy, howdy, he's going to sustain me until the time he calls me home. But there's a big difference there than living in this world where you think you're a mistake. I'm not a mistake. You're not a mistake. In our lives, we will always have something that we are fighting with for peace. For me, it's my health. I'm constantly fighting with my health for peace. For you, it could be something else. It could be addiction. It could be... It could be a depression. It could be a different type of sickness. But we all have something that we're fighting for peace. We need peace in our lives. In, here's another thing that I have um, a great memory for. It's baseball trivia. So 1961. There was a race happening to beat Babe Ruth's home run record as a Yankee. This race was being held between two men, Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. I have 
several books on this. It's such an incredible story. Now, Roger Maris eventually would beat him. He would absolutely beat the home run record, steal it from Babe Ruth. However, in the history books, there's an asterisk beside his name. Not for the same reasons that there's an asterisk beside Mark McGuire's name, who was on Roids, or Sammy Sosa, or Barry Bonds. Um, they shouldn't count. I will full out say those guys should not count. Roger Maris had an asterisk beside his name because he needed a couple of more games. The seasons got longer, and so Babe Ruth hit 60 home runs in 154 games. Roger Maris hit the 61 home runs, but he needed 162 games to do it. Does that mean he's worse? Well, everything changes but he will forever have an asterisk beside his name because he didn't do it in the same amount of games that Babe Ruth did it. In our lives, we have things that we believe put an asterisk beside our name. Something that makes us not as good as the other people. Even if God has called you to do something, you accomplish that. You, go to, you, like, you move on in life, you get to heaven, and you get a well-done, good and faithful servant. But all up until that point, in your brain, you've always got this asterisk beside your name. Yeah, but they did it, they did like this. They did, they did it so much better. If I, if I was only a little more talented, if I was only a little healthier, if I only tried a little harder. We all have those things with these asterisks beside our name. I'll tell you today, it's not real. Whoever God called you to be, whatever mission God has called you to do as a human being, that's for you. That is not for someone else. That's for you because you are created perfect the way you are. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves of that, though. What is that one thing you fight for peace? That one thing that has an asterisk in your life? In the book of Deuteronomy, so Moses is giving this whole, like, love God, love people thing, right? He's giving these different commandments. But he says something that I think we can apply to anything God has said to us or God has said about us. So Deuteronomy 6, verse 8, it says, Tie them as symbols and on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on your door frames of your house and on your gates. What do you do to remind yourself that God is good? What do you do to remind yourself that God is a God of peace? Friends, I, I encourage you, find something that you remember constantly every time you look at it, that God is a God of peace, that whatever the asterisk is, it doesn't actually matter. Find something. For me, in our home, we have a picture. So it's, a, it's a sheet music and, and there's a 
thing in behind it, and and uh, my mom and dad gave it to me, and I believe it came out of grandma's house, but it's my grandma's favorite hymn. And just the words of it, when peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well with our soul when the God of peace is allowed to speak. Amen? For me, I have a reminder. There's that picture, but then I had a friend I was telling us about, and he went and designed a tattoo for me. And so this is a guy who attended our church plant. He's one of the most incredible artists I've ever seen that turned into an incredible tattoo artist. And so he reworked some other people's stuff and and so he did this ship for me and every time I look at it I am reminded that the God of peace has the final word in my life Philippians the, the verse that Trista read us I love how peace kind of pulls us in a direction did you did you follow that Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, giving thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But then it continues, finally, brothers and sisters, so keep that thought going. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The God of peace is praiseworthy. Calls us to to a place that does not sit in our sorrow. We do not sit in our sadness because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen? Sometimes we have to let peace speak. Peace is not an emotion. Forget about that. Don't think of peace as an emotion. Peace is an attribute of God. Peace is a name of God, Jehovah Shalom. It is so much bigger, it is so much greater, and it calls us forward out of a place of sadness, out of a place where we sit there and we look at our, we look at our sickness, we look at our situation. It calls us to a place where we rejoice because God is still good. Amen? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Where I am in life right now is where I begin. It's not where I'm going to stay. And the same for you. Pastor Charles, would you prepare to come? You don't have to stay in a place where peace doesn't exist. I'm going to pray for you and invite you to stand this morning with me. And just invite you to close your eyes. Lord God, I thank you that peace is a promise. 
I thank you, Lord God, that in our lives, when we face trials, when we face situations, when we face things that are stressful, when we face things that are tough, when we face things that try to fight us for our peace that you gave us, that you are still there. God, would you give us reminders that your peace conquers all? God, would you give us reminders that you are the king? Would you give us reminders that your word never fails, that who you are is everything you need to be? God, we pray into situations this morning where there be a lack of peace. And we all have that stuff. We all have those stressors. We all have those reminders that life isn't perfect. But we just pray right now in the name of Jesus. God, would you begin to remind us of your peace? And by your Holy Spirit, we pray that you begin to push peace in the forefront. You begin to bring peace to a place that makes more sense. You bring peace to a place that makes more sense than anything that can come against it. Whatever robs us of our peace, we just say in the name of Jesus, you are done. We declare peace into those situations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.